Hello and welcome to episode 934 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, May 28th, and I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and today I've got a special guest episode with Rotogut Vlad Settler from Fantasy Guru. Vlad, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Paul. It's uh, especially fantastic because I'm sitting here talking uh, talking baseball with uh, with one of my favorite people and oldest friends. You know, I feel the exact same way. And so had to have you on. Going to be doing some more guest episodes in, during the week. And, uh, you know, sometimes with Justin, sometimes without. And I wanted to have you on. And we're going to be trying something new today where we're going to have a little Patreon exclusive bit at the end. So folks that are on our Patreon, we're going to get a few extra questions there. The meat of it's still going to be here. Listen, I'm not trying to phase out anybody that can't jump in on the Patreon or doesn't want to. Just want to give a little extra for those supporting us because we do greatly appreciate it. Uh, But we've got plenty to talk about. And I will peel the curtain back. It is Thursday, but we're putting it on Friday. So I wanted to say the day that it's coming out so as to not confuse anybody. And Vlad, let's start at the simplest point that we can at this this juncture of a season. How are the leagues going? I know you're a huge NFBC guy, so that's probably the main thrust of your league. So give us a, the lay of the land and where you're at in your mains, your OCs, TGFBI, et cetera, et cetera. How, how is, how's the season progressing thus far? It's good. Um, this is uh, this is really the season that um, I'm I'm trying to chase down an overall championship, whether that be mm-hmm. the main event or or the OC. So you know, obviously come close a few times, but haven't taken it down, and that was. Obviously, a big goal of mine going into the year. Uh, I drafted more than I, I thought I would. Uh, I ended up with 30 teams and uh, and, and uh, Tout Wars as well. And that's a draft and hold. And luckily, 18 of my uh, uh, of those 30 are either cut lines or, or draft and hold. So thank you. Okay. So that keeps the uh, the the work fab. to a minimum on or, you know down lower on Sundays. Yes, and over it the weekend. D- it does, but then I've now gone. I now have 12 uh, Fab teams. Uh, one of those TGFBI, and of those, and I mean, in previous years, it's usually seven or eight. So it's you know a little bit added to the workload. But right now, all the good stuff, the really good stuff, is is happening on um, on my two main event teams. So I got two two solo mains, um, both in first place. One is kind of jostling between you know first, second, third with a couple of guys uh, that are also competitive. And both teams are top 25 overall. Um, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I see you there. I'm, I'm looking at the overall standings earlier than I usually do. I see you there, top 10. Um, and yeah, I mean, those teams are doing really, really well. I uh, was very happy with those drafts. Uh, nice uh, nice mix of players. I, I've got some some bench stashes ready to go, you know, like pitchers like Eliza Hernandez, Tony Gonsolin, Carrasco, very hopefully, nice. eventually. Just a nice That's huge, Vlad, because, I mean, you're already doing well if you're ranking that high, and then you've got these resources already on the come-up. I know Gonsolin's due back quite soon. Uh, you said Carrasco, and who was the other? Uh, Carrasco, Gonsolin. Oh, and Eliezer. Eliezer. Yeah, yeah Eliezer. Eliezer's on his way back as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, those reinforcements could be massive to a couple of teams that are already succeeding quite a bit. And I noticed here that uh, that you have two disparate picks. You have a team that picked from the sixth spot and the mm-hmm. 11th spot. And I always like to check that out. I think it's my 
fifth year in the NFBC, maybe sixth. Um, and I love to see on the uh, on the overall standings of the OCs and the mains just where they picked from, because what you really end up learning very quickly is there is no there is no set answer. We talk a lot about it, our first round positioning and how we want to build our team. And it's important to that end. You want to be comfortable with what you're setting up. But the bottom line is, is that you can draft a big winner from any spot. It obviously depends on how they the chips fall in those mid and late, middle and late rounds, you know. And what's interesting, both those teams are went a little bit off uh, my typical beaten path in the first round, where I ended up drafting a, a starting pitcher in the first round of each of those. It's Garrett oh. Cole in one, and you Darvish in the other. And I and I really uh, worked hard to map out a plan and, and figure out, you know, certain guys that. I knew I really wanted to get Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No matter what, I wanted to get uh, you know Tyler Glass. Now uh, you know Aaron Judge. Those were three guys that were targets for me, and um, you know I just sort of mapped things out as, as, as how I wanted to do it. Had my later round targets, all the you know Quang Hyung Kims and Jordan Montgomerys in the world of the mm-hmm. world, and then sometimes you just luck into you know uh, an Alex Reyes. You know I was a oh. I was a Jordan Hicks guy going into it, and then. I started thinking, okay, if I have any hicks, let me um, kind of balance that out with some late round Reyes. And so those type of things end up, you know, working out. And, you know, no matter how much you work and how good you are at fantasy, anyone would be foolish to suggest you don't need some good luck to break, you know, especially to win something this big. It cannot all be skill based. So you need some things to go well. And even if you were, you know, using some skill to say, hey, I got to get on this this uh, this Alex Reyes in case my Jordan Hicks falls through. I don't know that anybody had him doing as well as he's been, especially in the cluster that closers has been, which we all kind of knew coming in. And here Alex Reyes is with a sub one ERA and 14 saves. And I mean, the walk rate's still aggressive for sure. But we're starting to see we're starting to see him getting a little bit more command. Um, when you, when he pitches, I don't know how much you watch your closers. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you one of those do not watch my closers type of fantasy players? You know, it's strange. Interesting enough. I will watch the closers. It's the, it's the starting pitchers. I can't the starters. Uh, you don't want to watch. Okay. I, I, I can understand it can be so nerve wracking that I totally get it, but, uh, watching Reyes a little bit more and I don't even have him in any, but one league. Um, I'm starting to see him be a little bit more in command. Now his most recent outing, he did get hit a little bit. But uh, if he if he shapes up the the control and command a little bit, oh, my gosh, he could literally end up being the best closer in the game this year. So uh, I was unsurprised to see you high in the rankings there as I as I check my daily standings. It's very fun to be that high. I know that there's so, 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 so much work to be done, but I can't lie. I love being in that uh, in that top 10 to 20 range where I've been most of the year so far. Yeah, it's uh, it really is a great feeling, and and everything's magnetized, right? I mean, or, or magnified in terms of yes. our starting pitchers, our our decisions. Like, do I, you know, you know I've got, I, you know, you know me, I'm I'm one of the suckers with uh, with Drew Smiley. I got a lot of love for him, and uh, uh, obviously that's been a bumpy road. But kind of knowing where to pick my spots with him, and making sure that I'm not starting him at Boston, and that ended mm-hmm. up being a, you know, being a good decision, and and things like that. And and it, it, in 15s, it's a lot easier to. Uh, you kind of know who you're you're going to be playing for the most part. You can't really uh, sit anyone right now, right? I mean, most of our benches are pretty much especially with the injuries. That's what I'm saying. Most of these guys are, you know, on, you know sitting there with injuries. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for Stanton to come back. Um, you know, how long can I hold somebody like Andres Jimenez? I don't know. You're 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 probably not a big Jimenez guy, but 
I, I don't know. Do I hold them in a 15 or do I drop them? Those type of decisions. How'd you know I wasn't? Because uh, Justin was, and I was like a little in between on him, um, you know, and the power uh, hasn't really been there, but the speed, he still has four steals in his 85 fight appearances. Obviously, everything else has gone south for Jimenez, but he is still just 22. I obviously recognize the talent. Um, I want to do a little detour on our our rundown here and just shift the second uh, the second bullet point with the uh, with the third here because the way you were talking there I want to get in, into that early to mid season management because I think now we hit the mo- the memorial day benchmark on Monday and I know that like there's nothing special about it but it's a nice like like I said, benchmark where people start to check in. Um, you're like me. We don't check the standings a lot, but then you start being high in the overall and you're like, okay, well, I am going to check the standings now. I mean, it's hard not to when you see, uh, you know, a top 50 ranking in an overall contest and not want to check it out and see where it's at. But I think once we hit this benchmark, the standings start to solidify. Some numbers are starting to kind of come together. How does the management style change when you move from the early to the mid-season? And how much of the early season management uh, do you hold even deeper into June as far as maybe being a little bit more liberal with who you start and where? What what, what are the differences in management style this part of the season versus where we'll be after the all-star breaks or after the uh, trade deadline, let's say? Yeah, it could be, you know, obviously so much can change between now and and, and that point in time. uh, And we might even have completely different teams. I mean, depending on other guys that might go on lengthy IL stints and, and guys that we'd have to drop. But uh, later on in the season, there's a lot more detailed category management. Uh, we sort of have a very strong idea of what our deficiencies are because they've accumulated over you know, that four month period and we can specifically address them and, and figure out optimal strategies to do that. At this point of the season, we have some idea of it. Uh, one of the things I like to do is, is kind of get a feel for where my where my offense uh, kind of where they hit in their respective lineups because a lot of times you know we're we're trying to to draft as balanced as possible but then you end up with uh, you know say for example a lot of rabbits a lot of guys that are uh, hitting near the top of lineups uh, and uh, are more you know bigger run producers as opposed to power producers and you can sort of see where your lack of power is coming from. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. A lot of times you have all these like, you know, four or five hitters in your lineup and you kind of look through your team. You're like, OK, I'm, I'm missing those Adam Frazier's and, and Robbie Grossman's of the world. And that sort of makes sense why I'm not, you know, sort of low on runs. So I think it, it almost goes back to draft season where y- 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 there's so many different things that we, we should balance. And I think that's one thing that is sort of forgotten is the the, the category balance and also like within where they where they hit in in uh, in their respective lineups. I totally agree with that because uh, you know who first comes to mind when you talk about that, and not so much this year, but more uh, previous seasons, is Chris Bryant and how those RBI totals were always kind of underwhelming for him, and that's because he was batting like top of the order, one or two, uh, a lot of two, but but even at, at times leading off for the Cubs. So he only has one 100 RBI season. He only has one 80 RBI season in his career. Uh, excuse me, two, two, two. But uh, they were his first two years. And then he started to be in that two spot more often. And he got 73 ribbies in, in 151 games, 77 ribbies in 147. He's got 28 now. So he's he's pacing more like a, like a standard RBI producer. Should he get to 650 plate appearances, he should get about 100 ribbies this year. But that is that is something that you have to be mindful of or else it will leave category deficits 
The categories I really want to dig in on, though, as far as management goes, are the ratios, average ERA and WHIP. How do you manage those this early in the season, and and can you really? Because first off, all three are difficult to find on the wire because those guys are usually highly sought after. Um, when it's average that's on the wire, it's usually empty batting average. Maybe you'll find a, an Adam Frazier type who isn't peaking the way Adam Frazier is. So maybe a, a lower tier Adam Frazier type. And then as far as the pitching ratios, they'll be a specialist. They'll have a good whip, but like a 425 ERA. Or they're going to have, you know, a 368 ERA, but a 135 whip. Think Robbie Ray prior to this year type of stuff. So how do you attack the ratio deficits this early in the year? Can you map out? a plan of attack or do you have to kind of let your guys regress and hopefully build back up with just pure regression? Like, well, what, what, what is your main way to attack? It's uh, it's a lot harder than going after stolen bases, for example, uh, strikeouts. I think everybody sort of understands that at this point. Uh, but I think all of it goes back to the draft. It, it, it's something obviously we can't worry about now, but it is something that you can worry about if you're drafting some of these uh, Memorial Day uh, second chance drafts. Uh, but for me, I want to be mindful about batting average before the season starts, because a lot of these guys have these extreme variances sometimes of, you know, up to 80 point, uh, differences from, from year to year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's of course the Lindy strategy where you just don't think about batting average whatsoever. And obviously that works for somebody of, of his ilk and, and, and skill level. Uh, but, uh, you know, for, uh, for the rest of us humans, we, we do need to be, uh, mindful of that. And so that's why I'm always making sure that I have a, you know, a Michael Brantley type, you know, I can always get a David Peralta after round 15 over the years. It's always been a Howie Kendrick, somebody who just makes good contact and is going to be able to, to help me there. Um, and it, it's tough. If you, if you, if you start your draft with, uh, for example, you, you go heavy speed early in pitching and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I really need power. And then you're loading up on, you know, the Adam Dunn type guys, Miguel Sano, Joey Gallo, that's a difficult hole to dig out of. Um, and of course, really, there's for average, for example, there's really only two ways to do it because we're mainly playing our studs. The only two ways is to maximize you know, the fringe hitters, making those optimal start-sit decisions, mm -hmm. and with FAB. So you know, op, you know, I'm optimizing my lineup each week based on whatever the upcoming schedule is. Uh, the last point I make about average is um, there's even, even little ways to chip away at it, like with the second catcher. A lot of times we're streaming that spot and, you know, a lot of times it makes more sense to go with a, a lesser known uh, catcher that maybe is going to face, you know, Baltimore or Boston or, or go to Coors yes. over somebody that's more well known um, uh, that has tough schedule. Like, for example, it's, you know, like the, the Martin Maldonado thing, like the guy hits 100 forever and then has this 400 a week, then everyone buys in on him, but then he's going to go face tough pitching against the White Sox and A's. He just came off a 400 a week. Guess what? He's probably going to hit 100. So you got to be able to time that mm -hmm. well, too. You, we, we just brought this up on Thursday's episode that people may have listened to if they listened in order about that second catch. We were talking about it in the context of Wilson Ramos. And then we're saying, do you want to go for like an Eric Haas who could hit 210 with some pop because uh, he's going to play volume wise or an Austin Barnes? who could actually hit for some batting average, but he doesn't play very much because he's very clearly a secondary, uh, a, a backup catcher to Will Smith, who plays the once, maybe twice a week. So you do have to keep that in mind as well, and that's a team context-based thing for sure. Um, 
it, it's not easy, it, it, obviously, and that's really the difficult part is managing ratios. I want to ask, do you have any sort of difference in how you play your start-sit decisions with starters early in the season versus middle and later? Are you, Do you open it up a little bit more, trying to strike gold with some guys that you believe in their talent, even if it's a difficult matchup, or do you play it the same way throughout? Is is that for hitters or pitchers? Uh, for pitchers, with regards to ERA and WHIP, you might sacrifice that a little bit by taking a chance on some of your breakout picks that you know they're not proven and they're facing, you know, they're facing the Yankees who are compromised, but they're still the Yankees. Or do you play it straight up the whole year and you say I'll be ca- I'm going to be cautious no matter what? Because um, I I personally change. That's why I ask mm-hmm. specifically. I open up liberally and then I tighten up at, depending on how my team plays out. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of do the opposite, but I, I'm, I'm always it, it's always it's a self-discipline thing. There, there are just some times where you get enamored with a certain name. Like, for example, for some reason, I was convinced that for my 15 teamers, Corbin Martin was just going to save my my uh, who Oscar um, Enoa yes. uh, grief. I was like, this is the guy who's going to step up. And of course, you know, six runs uh, right away gets blasted. And hey, he might have a good start at St. Louis, but I always get in more trouble when I do that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm always, you know, trying to be really careful with it. Um, but like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to break down the schedules. Like for example, this week, uh, Gomber was somebody that was a big target. Literally, like, I'm not going to let what happened three weeks ago when we all got Gombered affect the fact that his, his walks are down lately and he gets, um, a triple a Mets team and then, you know, another road start. And I'm going to roll with that over like, uh, trying to stash a Spencer Howard, who is, is literally more of a stash. Like we don't know if he's ready or not. Oh yeah. You know, and you kind of take that brand name uh, because they're they're sexy and exciting, but they end up, uh, you know, butchering you. I mean, it's happened so many times. Nate Pearson, everybody loves Nate Pearson. You pick him up, pitches three innings, give up six runs, and then get sent to the minors. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wants that. No, it, you're, you're right. And sometimes, you know, what, what burn hand two in the bush type of deal. That's, that's, that, that's that phrase to a T. And I totally respect not getting caught up in what uh, the gombering that happened back in late April when San Francisco busted them up because first off that San Francisco team has proven to be pretty strong offensively I know they're a bunch of crusty vets but they were all star- you know most of them were stars at some point and they're playing a lot like their star capability uh, back in the day with Buster Posey Brandon Crawford Emma Longoria looking like their peak iterations among others who are hitting for that club and uh, he's been pretty sharp since the only other bad outing that he had was the St. Louis five innings, five runs for Gomber. His former team there didn't mm-hmm. get the revenge, but still had seven punch outs in that game. So even that wasn't a total dud. And then the other four starts surrounding that have been quite good. So, you know, if you let that nine, nine earned run outing affect you, especially if you didn't even have it, but, but even if you did, you, you, you got to erase those things. If you believe mm-hmm. in the skills, his likelihood of allowing another nine uh, was pretty low, and yeah. uh, he's off to a great start with the Mets series. With the Mets start, eight innings, two runs, eight strikeouts, and he gets another one this week. And like you said, also on the road for Gomber. So, um, yeah, you know, I try not to be too crazy with it. It's it has to be somebody that I already kind of believed in coming into the year, and I'm trying to think of a good name. Like Frankie Montas is too good for that, but I I I have started him throughout, even though people were sitting him against quality teams and I get it because he doesn't have some great proven track record but I'm a huge fan of his so I've just been sticking with him but I'm talking even some of those later later round guys Corbin Martin was a good one that you brought up just some of these guys that we get enamored with I'm inclined to give them a shot maybe out of my own hubris I'm like ah, I'm gonna outsmart everybody it's like oh mm-hmm. you're probably not you dummy so this is the time where I start to be a 
I tighten up. I, I get my first little tighten up. And then, of course, as we get later into the season, you really got to tighten up depending on how your league and your ratios are playing out. So there is no one size. I was just kind of eager uh, eager to learn how you did it, uh, given your, your overall success there. So you start a little bit more tightened up and then you'll open it up based on team situation later in the year. Yes. And it, it, of course, yeah, it's based on team situation, how the ratios are doing. But one of my goals going into the season is is to it, it's almost like I'm I'm a snob with starting pitchers. And I know this sounds silly. And, you know, my, my buddy, our, our mutual friend, Scott Jensen, makes fun of me. But I say, like, I don't want pitchers with a three, you know, with a sub three fifty uh, who project for uh, higher than a three fifty ERA, which you know, obviously that, that, that's that's tough to do. But even those sure. later round guys. I like those uh, hang on uh, the, the Kims of the world uh, for St. Louis, like the guys who maybe get a little bit less strikeouts, but I know that they're less likely to, to, to really sort of blow me up. And so same thing as I was saying with the average, as far as being mindful as you draft, it's the same thing with, uh, with pitching. Like I don't want to put myself in a hole too early in the year where I'm already looking at streaming in April and, and picking up those Corbin Martins of the world. Like I want to have that base. And if that means, drafting pitching a, a little bit earlier than I usually would, especially in an overall contest. Uh, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And then with conditional bidding, I think that's another important element is when we're, you know, setting our bids, like we know that we need to replace our ninth pitcher spot in our lineup. And, uh, you know, if we're not going to get Alec Manoa this week and you don't have a lot of money for it, like who's sort of next on that list? Like, like, and, and what's our order? How do we feel comfortable with it? And that involves us having to dig in to these individual matchups. You can even, you can go as crazy as even looking at like past history. Like how do these guys hit Arietta, for example? And mm-hmm. do I like Arietta's two-step over Justin Dunn this week, you know, in, in 15 teamers and making sure that I set those two in the correct order. And if there's someone I don't feel comfortable with, that's when you can start throwing in some of those relief pitchers. We don't really want those relief, relief pitchers be, uh, who don't get saves or wins because we don't know when they're going to pitch, how much they're going to pitch. We don't necessarily want them, but there has to be this line of demarcation where, like, below this, I'm not taking any of these starters. I don't want to take on that potential ratio damage. Exactly, because that can hurt more. And that's, that's something I've been trying to talk more about when we say about somebody's downside and I think we as a fantasy community are a little too cavalier about what somebody's downside is. The point that's trying to be made is, well, so-and-so doesn't have a track record. So if he's not so good uh, you know, off the top, I'll cut him. Yeah, but what were those first four starts like? Was it a 750 ERA that you're wearing for 25 innings? That has an impact. So I think being mindful of what a true downside could be, how badly could they hurt you even in a few starts, uh, you have to be mindful of that going in. And I agree with you. You don't really want to take the relievers if you can avoid it, but don't take, you know, uh, Antonio Senzatella (laughs) in Colorado when you can get Giovanni Gallegos and just take a few clean innings from him. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's not going to get a save. You know, they like him as the fireman. Reyes has that job right now. But maybe he steals a win because he comes in in the seventh inning of a tied game. And worst case is you probably get three clean innings with four or five strikeouts and then you move on. But I agree with you. You have to assess, is it even worth taking that starter? Don't just blindly fill in with any starter possible. And that's the sort of stuff that separates the wheat from the chaff. Another thing that can do it, transitioning to our next thing, is subscribing over at fantasy guru and reading your fab pieces every week man they're fantastic mm-hmm. and i appreciate Thank you that you put the the time and effort into those because they cannot having done stuff like this uh they cannot be quick 
because you also do no. the schedule notes, which takes a lot of work to do. You're doing 15s and 12s. We're going to get to more of the 15 versus 12 stuff later. But you really run the gamut position by position with tons of guys to go in. So not everyone has the time to do all that work. Hey, put a few extra shekels into it. Uh, invest in your teams there by getting that fantasy guru. Not an ad, but I will I will support your work 100%. And subscribe to what Vlad's doing over there at Fantasy Guru. And you can at least have a starting point for all of your fab work there. Because I know a lot of people don't even know where to start. They're like, oh, God, I see this for my three or four leagues. Or maybe they even only play one. And they're just overwhelmed by how to even sort things out. So your Fantasy Guru content has been great. You do the fab piece every week and from the gut. Uh, which is kind of your freestyle piece every week. And I was really intrigued by this week's, the 2021 starting pitcher trios, where you take the top three of every rotation and kind of group them by tier with elite, very good, above average, average, below average, with and then poor bringing up the, the saddle there, which surprisingly does not feature my Tigers. We <laughs> made it into the below average because we got some guys uh, oh, yeah. doing doing a few things but uh, give us the origins of that piece and i have a few questions specifically about this year's iteration it started a few years ago because i just like putting together different things where i'm uh not letting uh, too much of my bias show and, and what i what i did was i basically created like a, a just a basic grade that balances out uh for each of the three pitchers so 90 pitchers in total three pitchers per you know for 30 teams uh and basically assign them a grade between five to 10, like an overall value. And part of that, of course, is year to date. And a lot of that is uh, projected um, unto the future because that's what we're looking at in it when we're uh, assessing trade options, uh, pickups and things like that. And instead of me just saying, okay, I think, you know, Kershaw, uh, uh, Bueller and Bauer are the best trio in the league. I wanted to actually sort of, you know, hashtag math it out. Uh, yeah instead of just you know instead of having it come out artificially to see where the numbers come up and so for example you know there at the top i gave out of a 10 where uh, on a scale where degrom's a 96 cole's a 95 i've got bauer to 93 bueller 89 kershaw 88 they just happen to be a tick above the woodruff burns uh peralta trio so and close though 0.5 separates the th the the two trios there that was really interesting and my and my thing there was I, I just know the track record of the, the the Dodgers trio and the fact that they have been the best rotation ratio wise in baseball for the last half decade. Obviously, Kershaw, a big part of that Bueller as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just kind of you, you kind of know what you're getting. And as long as they're healthy, they're going to be solid. But it's hard when you've got the Brewers insane strikeout upside. And plus, these guys all have basically ERAs under two, you know, probably a little bit higher. So there's a tremendous upside. I mean, if you're looking a lot at a lot of the teams near the top of the overall standings, a lot of them have probably like two of those guys, right? Someone's got Burns and, and you know, and with Peralta later as like their eighth round pick or 10th round pick. And so that's where the, the genesis of it started, started a few years ago. And then just based on where the points break off is where they land in that sort of elite, uh, you know, very good, good uh, sort of status. I love that. Like I said, I like grouping things like that too. And really... You know, if you'd put the Dodgers number one with no numbers, no one would question you. But it's nice to see the numbers and to then find out that the the Brewers, White Sox, and Padres are actually close. Um, so if anyone says, oh, it's Dodgers by a mile, it's, eh, not so fast. Brewers are right there with their developing trio of Woody, Burns, and Peralta. And then the White Sox, Padres, right on the cusp, too. Again, wouldn't surprise anybody, but to put some numerical values to it, 
is really interesting. Let's get into some of the details here. We go to the very good tier, and I saw the the Nats there, and I did I didn't necessarily disagree. In fact, I was actually quite big on this club coming into the year, so they've been a colossal disappointment for my expectations. I thought they could actually win that division, and they're only four under. Uh, 500. They're not out of it, but it's bleak right now, particularly with their offense. Their their pitching is the one thing that they can kind of hang their hat on. And I saw that you had them in the very good tier. My question is, uh, does Corbin get back on track to kind of solidify that third spot and maybe even move them up in the rankings? Because I think we, we know Scherzer's back. He looks excellent. And then Strasburg, when healthy, I think we're pretty confident that if we can get that when healthy piece, he'll be good. But what about Corbin? He's been healthy, ostensibly, and yet we have a 613 ERA, 155 whip, coming off a, a mediocre to poor 2020 uh, two months as well. Is there room for concern about Corbin, or, or do you see some light at the end of the tunnel where he can turn it around and be that strong third for Washington? I think it's going to uh, continue to be a little bit of a bumpy road, and, and the tough part of that is in 12-teamers where there will be opportunities for you to potentially bench him for, for certain matchups. But the problem with a guy like Corbin is you never know when he's going to turn it on. He could, you know, he could uh, throw a gem in, in in Yankee Stadium against the Yankees with 10 K's and then go and face the pirates and give up a, you know, five spots. So that's yeah. the tough part about having somebody like that. But, you know, c- career low strikeout rate thus far, uh, career high, almost walk rate, uh, giving up more home runs than ever before. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of a bumpy road. And so that's why I have a little bit of a lower rating for him there. I mean, he's uh, just compared to guys in his own division. Like I've got him considerably below the, the Philly trio, for example. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just don't know that I feel necessarily all that strongly about him. And I have him on in a couple of spots and he wasn't a target. He was a, okay, he's there and he fell a couple rounds. I'll take it. And those usually end, usually end up being disaster picks. I, I totally hear you. And, and the, a guy just stares at you on your list like, oh, nobody's taking him, but he's. He's the highest guy by 15 slots over my next SP. I guess I'll do it. And you weren't even convicted. And sometimes those can turn out well. We've all had those. But a lot of times it does feel like I should have just I should have just not taken him. I didn't love him going in. So I hear you on that. I mean, he ranks below um, some of the third guys in the above average tier. So it's it's Scherzer and Strasburg really carrying Corbin to keep them in the very good tier. You look at Desclafani, Freed, Lopez, McClanahan, and Urquidy, who are all in the above average third. Uh, third slot tier and they all rank above him as far as an individual point rating so you know it's it's scary with Corbin if you were in a 10 12 team league shower leagues are you are you thinking about cutting Corbin in a 12 I mean I picked him up in a 12 just because hoping to catch some lightning in a bottle and Mm -hmm. and hoping for the best and I find myself occasionally benching him just because that's a deep rotation and I'm just you know trying to get collect an embarrassment of riches uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think he is somebody that we may consider dropping. I don't, I don't think he's going to have this, you know, super career renaissance where we're really going to regret dropping him. I think he's just going to continue to be a week to week headache. Yeah. I, I tend to see it like that with Corbin as well. I, I call him uh, a team streamer in 12 teamers, meaning when you stream him, you don't cut him after that. You just put him on your reserve. So, um, I'm sure people, you know, I think, I didn't make up the concept. I just tried to make up a phrase for it because when usually when you say streamer, people think use them and then cut them. So I'm trying to delineate that there's like a step above that where you're not starting them all the time, but you're not cutting them after you use them. I think Corbin fits that right now until we get a little bit 
clearer picture, but there's going to be a point this year that I'm concerned about where he might just be an outright cut, even in 15 teamers, if he doesn't improve and improve quickly with Corbin. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Cincinnati as well. Another team that I quite liked and they're struggling um, and it is due to their pitching. And they, they ranked in the, uh, the average tier and you could certainly see a scenario where they bump up to above average or even the very good tier if things start to click. But they've had two guys, pardon me, uh, in Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo who have greatly underperformed. And I wonder who you think is the better bet for the rebound the rest of the way to be, quote unquote, themselves, the guy we drafted in the early rounds. And you can answer either, both or neither, to be quite honest. It doesn't have to just be a solo answer. But I'm curious where you come out on Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, given their early struggles. So I feel like the 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 bigger damage and the guy most more discussed is Castillo. A lot of people aren't, aren't talking about, uh, about Sonny Gray's struggles, but obviously he's had a couple of outings where it was, didn't make it out to the fifth. I think he even struggled against the pirates or something like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, you're just looking at w- what he's doing over the course of, uh, the season isn't really that far off from his career outside of the home runs. He's, he's serving up, uh, basically one and a half per nine, which is uh, you know, a, a huge clip higher than what, what we're used to over the course of his career. Everything else is sort of on par. Walks are a little bit up. Uh, strikeouts are right around, you know, usually in the 28, 30 percent range. Um, and uh, I mean, even the ratio three, nine, six is uh, it, ERA there is a lot big of a difference than the seven something that Castillo has. In fact, true. Castillo has the worst. Uh, among all qualified starters, which is kind of crazy considering he was a second rounder, man. It's so bad. And I, I totally bought in. You know, I'm, I've been a Luis Castillo guy since he came up. Huge fan. And it's just been nasty. And yeah, lumping them together. I'm glad you made a delineation because I'm not suggesting that they've been the same amount of struggle. Uh, but it, you see that sub four ERA and you might be thinking, well, Grace, fine. I just worry about the walk and home run rates. That's why I lump him in as a struggler here. And uh, yeah, obviously his his renaissance wouldn't take nearly the steps that it would for Castillo. So let's zero in on Castillo a little bit. Do you see a path to being a second rounder from here on out? Obviously, I don't think he's going to get his bottom line numbers to second round numbers, but let's judge it from May 27th on can he be that second rounder from today forward? And if so, do you anything you're seeing that he needs to fix first and foremost to get there for Luis Castillo? When you put it like that, uh, can he be a second rounder? My, my, I hadn't thought of it in that respect. And, and the answer is a clear no, because there are way too many uh, more reliable and, and, and great guys. It's just pitchers alone that I have a lot more confidence in. And um, mm-hmm. I ended up not having any any shares of him. Uh, and I think a lot of that was, I mean, I think it had to do with the way that my, my, my roster construction worked. I usually had a starter in the first round or in the second round. I liked someone else, but it's that ballpark. It always just kind of scares me uh, for, for pitchers. And, and that's one of the re- main reasons I avoided it. That's uh, fair. But he'd have to really have a based on how great pitchers are and with the way the ball is and everything. I mean, he'd have to legit be like a, you know, uh, be Woodruff from here on out and have mm-hmm. that one five ERA for the remainder of the season. And, and I just don't know if I see that in him. I know he's, you know, trying to mix up some of his, his pitch usage and, and trying to get back to where he was uh, last season. But I don't know. I, I just, I, I honestly, I, I don't want to even pretend and prognosticate. Yes. Yeah, so oh, he's going to be fantastic. He'll be fine. Buy in or no, he won't. I legit don't know. Yeah, it, it's 
it's a wide open question right now with Luis Castillo. And, you know, I know a lot of folks come to us with questions like this, hoping for like a clear answer. And sometimes you just have to be straightforward and say, I, I don't have a good answer here. And I'm, I'm right there with you with regards to Castillo. There's so much seemingly going wrong that uh, there isn't. It's so nice when there's like that one clear fix. Oh, throw this pitch here more often or get get this walk rate in check. There's a lot of things with Castillo and there isn't, I don't think there's a simple fix. He is still getting some swings and misses. So it's not a total disaster there. His walk rate hasn't skyrocketed through the roof, but the home run rate has. And so the command certainly isn't there. Changeups can be a bit of a feel pitch. That's his number one. So he's got a ways to go. Let me ask you in the NFBC, we don't have to concern ourselves with this, but in other leagues where you can trade, would you go for a, a legit buy low on him? And um, I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll give you some some actual names. But I wonder if it's if it's a situation that's too bleak to where you're not even trying to buy low, or is there a scenario where you say, you know what, let, let me let me try to buy on the cheap here, and I'll, I'll wrangle up some names of who that might be while you talk about the concept of of buying low on uh, Castillo first. So I guess it's a matter of what buy low is because uh there are some people a lot of times the people that are attached somebody of such a high uh, uh draft equity aren't willing to give up what we may consider uh low so a lot of people True. they're like oh this is you know this is my guy i believe in him let me just stick with it or other people just want to get rid of it for me i feel like there are enough uh players in the league that this is a potentially a headache that i don't want to deal with if i felt confident about his resurgence uh, then I think, then of course I would probably make a deal for him and try to get him on the roster. Uh, but I also don't want to be in a position where I'm regretting it when he's, you know, throwing up a seven spot again. So the one thing I am certain of, I'm, if, if everything normal sort of like regresses towards his mean, I'm buying in next year for sure at whatever discount yes. Luis Castillo is, because guess what? A seven, six ERA, even if he's fantastic, that's still going to end up somewhere in the fours. He's going to be like a 10, 12th round pick. And on that, I'm all over yeah, same here. I'll be, I'll be buying every share if if we don't have anything catastrophic that kind of uh, takes him out for everybody. Um, what if he cost you a uh, a resplendent Joey Wendell who has six homers and three steals and a 305 average? He's uh, kind of found of money. You you sure. do that? Okay. I love okay, Joey so. Wendell, but I I'll take Luis Castillo for him. What about uh, another breakout? Um, in Cedric Mullins, who's been doing it the entire year. Uh, that would be, I guess, team context dependent. Like, who would be my re- replacement value for Mullins? Is it, a, you know, is it a 15 teamer, 12 teamer, and, and and who would I pop in? Somebody reliable because I mean, Mullins is going to be there all year. I mean, to me, I think you and I both probably realized it early on. Like, man, okay, this guy stopped being a switch hitter. He's just going to hit from one side of the plate, and he he's their leadoff guy. He's the guy they've been, been, they've been wanting and missing. So I think we sort of recognized early on, like, okay, this guy's going to be valuable this year. Should have had more shares. Yeah, Justin was big on him, and it helped me get a couple just by hearing him talk him up and buying into the case that that Justin laid out. But I wish I had more because he's got, I think he has six homers and six steals. Now, he is six for 10 on the bases, Mullins is, but I'll take the six steals. And I doubt they're going to red light him. They might yellow light him a little bit and say, hey, you got to be a little bit smarter. But it's Baltimore. Why would they stop him? So I agree with you. I'll I'll let you off the hook on the team context one because I do think it matters when you're taking six steals off off your team. How are you replacing those is very important. So that's where we're at with Gray and Castillo. Gray obviously has a lot less to kind of get in order to get back on track. Castillo has more. And I got to be honest, uh, I think in, you mentioned uh, 12 or 15. 
I don't know if I'd buy him in 15s because I kind of need Castillo to come through if it's a 15-team league, whereas if it's a 10 or 12, I still have the wire kind of protecting me a little bit if yep. things don't bounce back. And I just don't know if I want to jump in this year. Now, that's when it's the hardest to do it, and that's when it can pay off the most, when it's a true buy low. I hate when people say buy low on somebody who has like a 5 ERA but a 240 FIP, and they're like, dude, mm-hmm. I bought low. It's like, no, you didn't. Everybody knew that this guy you know, had been a little unlucky. Yeah. But with Castillo – it's disastrous if you're you're truly buying low. And another thing, by the way, uh, Sonny Gray, one of the reasons I brought him up as a struggler is he has zero wins so far. So you go look on like a player rater type thing. He's going to rank quite a bit lower mm-hmm. because of the zero wins, even though the, the ratios and the strikeouts aren't off the charts uh, poor. You know, and that's a tough thing to consider, too, because Cincinnati was supposed to be a pretty decent team. And can he can he make up for those wins or is he just going to be? his normal wins expectancy from here on out. It's hard to say for sure. Um, but anyway, love the tiers piece. I think people should check that out. It's a great way to kind of see where teams are. And another thing is for bullpens too. I think you can use this as a way of like, okay, let me look at these teams that you have here at the high end. If I get some of their bullpen guys, they might be more in line for wins too if they're getting it turned over to them in the sixth, seventh, because they won't always be leading. You know, obviously there's the obvious teams that we know, like like the Dodgers up there. But let me, you know, let, let me look at Cleveland and, and Philly a little bit more closely since they have three guys that both rated uh, in the very good tier for you. Maybe I want to get their middle reliever in a deeper league for some sneak wins or a, a save here and there. So I really like the piece. Great work on that. And of course, like I said, I love your fab. We're going to get into more fab stuff, which is actually going to be our Patreon exclusive stuff here at the very end. Uh, but I want to continue on to the Memorial Day Leagues that, that you briefly hinted at. Those are already starting. We saw our first one, and I don't know. Have you checked the ADP on that yet? Uh, no, I just I, I looked at the draft that I know that a few of our friends were in uh, the, okay. the the first one, and it would it looked pretty wild to me. Well, I wanted to see if uh, if I could if I could quiz you on uh, on where Adolis Garcia went, but you might already oh, I know. know. You looked at the board, yeah, yeah, thirty eighth. He went yep. he went thirty eighth, and uh, we'll talk more about him in, in a little bit because. That's very high. But uh, as far as Memorial Day leagues go, are you going to be in one? I'm not it, just because it's uh, it, it's it's another team that I would have to draft and, and manage. And also it's yeah. uh, it's my wife's birthday and Memorial Day oh, weekend. Well. So I'm going to just, you know, just uh, uh, not draft and, and be a be a be a good uh, dad and, and husband. <laughs> I hear you. Happy birthday to the missus. And I totally understand. I don't think I would have if they hadn't been so kind to offer me a beat pulse for league. Nice. Um, so I'm going to take them up on that. But I believe me, I, Justin and I were talking about, I was like, I really don't think we should add another league, this and that. And then, like I said, you know what? They're hooking it up. I can I can, I can, can add that. I have I have more bandwidth than you two because both of y'all play more leagues than me. So I feel like I, I can uh, I can afford to take it on. But I don't want I don't want to take any attention away from that Paul, main event team. Paul, you're going to have so much fun. I'm looking at this draft board and I'm just drooling. I'm like, I can't wait. You're going to clean up wait. on this thing. So. Maybe you can be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, forthcoming. Not that I think you would hold anything back. You definitely have struck me as one of those guys who does not. And I respect this in analysts. They don't hold like a little something back for themselves. You put out your info there, the top notch info that you can give for people, even though you may be competing against them in leagues. But now that you're not even in this league, you can have no holds barred. Mm-hmm. 
So what is like an early round, what, what is some of your early round strategy in something like this where we have two months of work? Obviously that work does not go on. For those that don't know, they don't put these players on your team and say, well, you got those. We're drafting from Memorial Day forward as Domingo Herman gives up back-to-back homers to Marcus Simeon and Bo mm-hmm. Bichette, which people will be well aware of since they'll be listening to this on Friday. <laughs> but anyway, what's your early round strategy now that we have two months and there's going to be a lot of craziness happening? So what I thought uh, the way that these leagues should be attacked was the exact thing that I saw uh, one of the best uh, actually NFBC players out there, fantasy baseball Phil. players, Phil, the robot. It. I saw it. Yeah. Too. What great info. And if you don't think I bookmarked that, you're insane because I huh. absolutely did. Pitching, pitching, pitching early. That's the way to do it. I mean, it, it, you know, the, those that's more easily projectable, especially the aces. I think the numbers stabilize uh, uh, quicker. And uh, there are just way too many values. Like, you know, I'm looking at Rob Silver's team, for example. He drew from the number one spot and he started Cole Bueller and Kershaw. I mean, what better uh, ratio sort of anchors? (laughs) You didn't get any better than that. Edwin Diaz and then then Will Smith. He took in the fourth and the eighth, who's got his two closers. But his three hitters, you know, within those first eight rounds, he's got three starters, two closers. His hitters, Yelich in the fifth, Jordan Alvarez in the sixth. Jose Abreu in the seventh. Oh my I'm all goodness. about that. I love that. I really, really do. I mean, uh, Springer's an 11th rounder in this thing. Uh, um, uh, Corey Seager, 16th round. Mike Trout, 11th. Meadows, 11th. Like, there's going to be a ton of hitters. I understand Seager's hurt, Trout's hurt, whatnot. But, sure. But, man, yeah. you you, so, you got to get the pitchers. I did play the Memorial Day back in uh, 2019. And I'm happy that I arrived at the same notion that Phil was say, espousing uh, independently because obviously he did not have that tweet up from 2021 back in 2019, if you can believe how space and time work. Uh, <laughs> I took Verlander and Snell as my first two picks. Then I went Harper Correa, and then I went Hader Ozuna for two closers. So my four of my first six picks were pitching, and I felt the same exact way. Pitching stabilizes much quicker. Ended up finishing third, by the way. I ran into the buzzsaw that is uh, Tanner Bell and Jeff Zimmerman pairing up as if that's Yoke. even fair. Uh, so they won the league, and then uh, I don't know who was in second, but I, I had finished third in that. And I totally agree, and I'm going to run the same thing back. I love what Rob did. And there's just going to be some silly, silly hitting values that should should not be there because people think things are stabilized after two months. They're insane. We just got yeah. done spending an offseason saying how little you should, how little stock you should put into the two month season because it was not stabilized. You had to take some things from it, but you should not be going crazy on it. And I desperately hope that that hit by pitch on Vlad is nothing. Uh-oh. I don't I don't mean to scare you, but it, it looks it's a glancing blow. It really looks like a glancing blow off of his back elbow area. So it, it stung him, but I hope it's nothing mm. big. No. Sorry. Let's... Sorry to alarm you and derail. But, yeah, I think that's the early round strategy for sure is to go pit, unless you're in my league. Get all the hitting that you can, especially the hitting that has come out of nowhere. you got to get those guys early because I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Obviously, that, well, you got to be careful with those guys. Well, you know, the guy that took uh, whoever it is that took a, a Dolis Garcia in the fourth and and not to say that's a bad pick. I don't know if I would do that myself, uh, but that was the person drafting out of the 11 spot. Uh, I think maybe they were on auto for a bit or something, but I don't know if it's possible because their first 17 picks were hitters. What? Yes, and then your boy Kyle Gibson is his ace in round 18, 
And then he's got uh, somehow he's got Kluber and Noah and Plesak on his team. Oh, so that I don't know does what's going feel on there. Auto-y, I agree. Unless like because I just don't see the strategy of buying the hurt pitchers. Mm-hmm. Like that's not something something I would something has do. to be up. By the way, I was surprised Otani only went 31st. Um, Justin and I were talking about how we'd want him in the second round. I know that's essentially the second round, but we were saying early second round. And then on the heels of that uh, pod, I ran a poll asking people where they would take him. And the winner of the poll, it wasn't an overwhelming one. It was three choices, and there was more of a plurality than than like a majority. Uh, but they said first round. So mm. – you know, obviously, this is a random sampling of 12 people that decided he should go 31st. But I, I guess I'll ask you about Shohei. Where, where do you see him going? Well, uh, where, where would you be comfortable taking him in, in an NFBC Memorial Day League Should if you were playing one? I think he's going to go higher than, than than I would take him, uh, personally. I don't know if that's a— Is that I third have, one too high for you? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like, So my question to you is, are you drafting him in the second round to pitch him or to— no. Hit him. He's a hitter with with pitching as as gravy for me. That's how I addressed mm-hmm. him. Like I, he was a big target of mine. <laughs> Interestingly, I got him in like five leagues, not the main. Thankfully, it hasn't hurt me. But he was somebody I really liked, and then he got jumped two three rounds higher than I was ready to go in my main. And then, as you well know, by the time he went, most of the other UT only guys, I loved that whole cluster this year, and they've been amazing. Uh, but but problem is when you wait for Otani, who was usually the last one to go besides Fran Mill, um, if you didn't get Otani, you probably got none. So that was kind of a bummer there. But with Otani, I was taking him saying, I'm drafting a hitter, and if the pitching develops, then I have somebody I may be able to you know, spot start here and there. But just as a hitter, he has 15 homers, six steals, 269 average. Is that not a second round player yeah, on its own? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just hope that the pitching uh, doesn't, doesn't, hurt doesn't hurt him and him, yeah. him end up getting hurt. That's the concern. Yeah, that that is definitely the concern. And that's what kept the price. And I felt like that was baked into the price to where I didn't have to double count that. I'm like, okay, that's why I'm getting him as a ninth rounder because people are having that concern. So I, I, I would still take, if he's available at 31, I'll tell you right now, I, I will take him in my, uh, in my Memorial day league. We'll see. We'll see if he gets that low. I think his ADP is going to be a little bit higher than the 31 that he went for in the first draft, but I'm, I'm definitely keeping a close eye on him. There's a lot of fun guys that we're going to be excited to see. Jesse Winker went 23rd in like, I can't do that. He's a platoon mm-hmm. guy. Like I love what he does against righties, but he is he does not play against lefties and shouldn't because he's very, very bad against them. I know he hit a home run against one recently, but uh, anyway, I want to get into a specific question. Your biggest surger, again, I know you're not playing one, <clears throat> one of these leagues, but assuming you were, who is the biggest surger that you believe in? Let's say somebody who was drafted anywhere after pick 250 in the spring that you think will be a top 100 pick in these drafts and you agree with it. So, you know, Dolas Garcia is an obvious example, uh, but he went 38. So maybe you don't believe in that price. But but who's somebody that you really believe in that you say, you know what, their price is going to skyrocket, but I could see myself getting behind it. It's going to have to be Carlos Rodon, I guess. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 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 I mean, even in, in my SP Trios piece, I mean, I had him rated uh pretty high up there i mean he's he's pretty much close to to even the you know the nolas and wheelers of the world like what we're seeing is legitimate the the, the strikeout upside the dominance uh you know the, the, the gets the run support uh he's a he's a legit ace as long as he's healthy and i, th- I think that's probably the one that i'm buying in most and uh, adoles garcia is uh 
it, it's a tough pill to swallow. That it, it's interesting that he's adding the stolen bases as well, and he's you know almost you know did like a like a like a swap with Joey Joey Gallo for whatever reason. I don't know. He just he's just the man there right now, it's, and, and every it's day, Vlad, every day. Like every I know day. he's you know he's played 40 games, has 16 homers, so it's not literally every day, but it feels like every day. And you know, going back to the Sed Mullins thing where I said you know he's six for 10, are they going to slow him down a little bit? It's the Orioles, and Adolis is five for eight, but are they really going to slow him down when he's dominating and say, hey, you know, as long as you don't run us out of innings, uh, I think they're going to let him take those opportunities yep. to go ahead and take his shots on the bases. And frankly, with this kind of power output, you don't even mind if he doesn't give you that many steals. I, th- I feel like that's icing on the cake here and he's just been he's been kind of randy rosarena esque in terms of uh the this this you know uh mid-20s cuban player from the cardinals who's emerged with <laughs> another team and uh this one was a tougher for, i think for cardinals to swallow because they just cast him aside at least with a rosarena they got adam or um, uh matt libertor in, mm-hmm. in, who's a legit prospect pitching prospect for them so i feel you on rodon i totally believe and it all comes down to health which is it's a sketchy health track record but i've always said when when the skills are in place and health is the biggest question i'm gonna take that gamble because we just can't predict health enough to be like oh i'm definitely gonna avoid this guy because he's he's had a bad injury track record no give me the potential upside of an ace which is what he's pitching as and there's a lot of believability in what he's doing and that's evidenced by the fact that he has a 190 FIP. And you can mm-hmm. say your own flaws about FIP, which, you know, we all understand that it's not perfect or anything. But when you have a 190, that means you're pitching your face off to go with his 127 ERA. So good call on Rodon. I like that one a lot. What about a struggling stud that you're not worried about at all? I don't think it's going to be Luis Castillo, but that's the kind of player we're talking about. Somebody who was drafted in the top 75 that you'll draft at virtually the same level. Uh, You'll take a discount that the draft will give you. But for the most part, you're not buckling on them. Who's somebody that fits that criteria for you? I'm thinking – Thinking Anthony Rendon. I don't. I yes. don't necessarily think there's Rendon any. Rendon. I love it. Yeah, there, there's nothing necessarily to, to to worry about. At some point, Trout will be back, and he's you know it, it's been a a bumpy couple months for him, but he always gets his numbers. He's one of just the best all around hitters in baseball, and has been for for so many years. And and pretty soon he's going to heat up, and you know talk about a a buy low guy. I mean, he's just kind of unexciting, like, un, uh, you know, unsexy, like in the in yep. a Kyle Seeger, Alex Bregman, um, you know, type Chandra. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think he's the guy right now that, um, that is a top 75 pick that I would take top 75 easily right now. Vlad, he went 90th. Are you kidding me? He went 90th in that wow. first draft behind Ian Kennedy. And like, I know I'm throwing shots at Ian Kennedy for no reason. He didn't do anything wrong, but that's insane. I know saves are important, but no way. I mean, behind Ryan McMahon, who I actually kind of believe in. I got some shares of him. I, I, I like that he's finally clicking. But over Anthony Rendon, no chance. Absolutely no chance. Those are great calls. I know people like when there's disagreement, but I'm not going to foster disagreement when I don't agree, uh, when, when I don't believe in it. And I love the Rodon and Rendon picks as guys to uh, to believe in here in these Memorial Memorial Day drafts. And hopefully I wind up with at least one of them uh, because I'll be targeting both at their current prices here. So, Vlad, that's going to do it for the episode by itself here. We're going to do a Patreon exclusive questions here right after we wrap up. But let people know where they can find you both on Twitter and over at uh, at the website that you're writing for twice a week. Before I do, I just want to mention, since you brought up the Blue Jays game and you had me turn it on, 
Um, I had a, a, a tweet earlier in the week about being careful with uh, with Alec Manoa, uh, you mm-hmm. know, being a rookie and all that, and the Gilbert and and Lynch uh, sort of uh, that realm. Uh, scratch all that. There's <laughs> something about this guy. I, I know he's. It's not just because he's throwing strikeouts. There's something about him that's just like he's got that it factor. You know I, what I mean? I'm so with you. He's like wearing. He was like wearing like a like number six even. He just he just looks like I don't know young Sabathia. I don't know what it is, but that's yeah. a good call. Right hand is like he's he's bigger guy too. He's got that workhorse feel. Uh, he is not intimidated. I mean we're we're gleaning this both uh, just from video and on mute, but it really is coming across like hey I've been here for years and he's gonna have his struggles like any rookie does, but he's standing tall here in a Yankee Stadium debut. Have you seen his mother's reactions at all? They keep cutting. I don't know if you're on the Yankees or the Blue Jays broadcast, uh, but uh, they need they need a Manoa mom cam because yeah. her reaction, she, like she is losing her mind in the in the most adorable way possible. And when he struck out Judge on a three two count, he just got another K on Odor. But when he yeah. struck out Judge on a three two count, she went absolutely bananas, and it was super adorable. So yeah, Manoa looks great. I was a little worried when he got rained out because you get so amped up for the debut, and then to have the letdown of it getting postponed. I was like, oh, is that going to affect him negatively? But you could make a case that it affects him positively because then he's like, you know what? This all went to hell the way it was supposed to be planned. Now I'm just going to go out and do my thing. And here it goes. And he's dominating yeah. right now through three innings. So Manoa is a G and uh, this is raising his price by like $20 per strikeout. So oh, big uh, time. We'll, we'll get more into that. But yeah, let, let the folks know where they can find you because if they're not following you on Twitter, they absolutely need to be right this moment. Yeah, it's a uh, Roto Gut R O T O G U T on Twitter, and uh, FantasyGuru.com is is the site for the Fab article and the uh, from the gut, and uh, EliteFantasy.com for uh, for DFS, where I do a few columns a week as well. So, Excellent. thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for having me. Vlad, it's great speaking with you. I'll definitely have you on again this summer. Thank you so much. <laughs>